Our scripture today is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verses 7 through 18. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams, springs, and deep water sources, flowing in both valleys and hills, a land of wheat, barley, vines, figs, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without shortage, where you will lack nothing, a land whose rocks are iron and from whose hills you will mine copper. When you eat and are full, you will bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commands, ordinances, and statutes that I am giving you today. When you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in, and your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold multiply, and everything else you have increases, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of the flint rock for you. He fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your ancestors had not known, in order to humble and test you so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Morning, everyone. My name is Dan, and uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, part of the of the staff here. Um, I'm the lead pastor, and it's lovely to see you all here, whether it's your first time or you've been here many, many times before. Um, just because it's Thanksgiving, um, just wanted to point out that in addition to Cody, who is on sound, we also had uh, uh, Randy and Carl show up earlier because nothing was working, no sound was working, never happened before, it was just crazy, and so uh, Randy showed up and... Uh, and then Carl showed up and they made it all work. So uh, let's just give thanks to them for, for uh, yeah. And uh, if you walked in and the church smelled like popcorn, that's because that's one of the snacks that's happening in kids' church. So uh, it's not for you. But maybe if there's anything left over, then we will see. Um, so I, I, last week I was driving Enya to her co-op at St. Philip's School uh, in Richmond, and, uh, and we drove by 
uh, Wendy's and my first home as we were on our way. It was a small apartment on on Strand or Strachan Street. Um, it was simple and it was all that we needed. At that time, many, many years ago, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, I couldn't work because I was new in the country. Uh, Wendy had a part-time job and I remember that we had a bit of a fantasy in our minds about what it would be like to quote-unquote have enough money. Not too much. We never wanted to be millionaires. Neither of us had many ambitions to climb the social or, or the economic ladder. We just wanted to serve the Lord, have enough to live on, maybe to travel a bit, and enough to tithe and to give to our church and to support missionaries and to bless others. Uh, now, now in 2023, we're far from rolling in the dough. Uh, you don't become a pastor if that is your goal. But I would say that we are doing fine. And I think one of the things that we've wrestled with is this question, how much do we need? Um, how much is enough? And how much is maybe too much? Um, and last week, actually, while I was coaching uh, Maya's team in soccer, uh, I was chatting with one of the parents, and she said to me that when she was a newlywed with her husband, um, her husband came to her and asked her this important question. Uh, he said, how much is enough? How much did she consider to be enough to live on? Because he did not want to be caught up in the game of accruing more and more money at the expense of of the family. So right at the outset, he said to her, how much is enough so that he knew that's how much they should aim for. And I think it's a great question for us this morning as we start off our teaching, how much is enough? How much is enough? For you to do all that God is calling you to do as a single, as a couple, or as a family, how much is enough? The series is called the enemies of gratitude, which is really perfect because it spans the time that Canadians call Thanksgiving. And last week we looked at how nostalgia is one of the, of the enemies of gratitude. And we discovered in uh, Exodus chapter 17, uh, verse 1 through 7, that uh, nostalgia, it really does three things. It distorts the past, it deconsecrates, it takes God out of the present and it destroys the future. Now this morning's enemy in some ways is the opposite of last week's. Instead of fixating on the past or at least some sort of an idealized version of it, uh, which is nostalgia, this week we're looking at the enemy called amnesia. Nostalgia, you might say, is too much remembering. Amnesia is not enough remembering. And we're going to look at how spiritual amnesia effectively erases God or erases God from our lives. We forget him because we're so fixated on our circumstances. And this then serves to wreak havoc in our gratitude quotient. And of course, one of the realms of life which is most affected either by nostalgia or by amnesia is how we approach money our attitude towards money, our attitude towards our resources. And here is the irony. Both too much money or too little money, if dealt with incorrectly, can both result in spiritual amnesia. Too much money or too little money. There's a writer 
His name is Mr. Thomas Oden, and he says this about John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism and after whom this church is named. He said this, that the poets of all ages have railed against money as the grand corrupter of the world, the bane of virtue, the pest of human society. Wesley did not rail against money. He viewed it as a training ground for eternity. Ooh, that paycheck that you're waiting on forms the training ground or one of the training grounds for eternity. In fact, John Wesley himself famously preached a sermon entitled The Use of Money. If I advertise that ahead of time, we're going to be talking about the use of money. Use of money. I wonder how many of you would have showed up this morning. But in this sermon that Wesley entitled The Use of Money, he said this, having first gained all you can and secondly uh, saved all you can, then you should give all you can. And in this sermon, Wesley gives this helpful matrix to aid us in deciding how to view our money. He says this, if then a doubt should at any time arise in your mind concerning what you're going to expend, either on yourself or any part of your family, you have an easy way to remove it. Calmly and seriously inquire one. In expending this, am I acting according to my character? Am I acting herein not as a proprietor, but as a steward of my Lord's goods? Number two, am I doing this in obedience to his word? In what scripture does he require me to do so? Number three, can I offer up this action, this expense, as a sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ? And number four, have I reason to believe that for this very work, I shall have a reward at the, at the resurrection of the just? And then he continues, you will seldom need anything more to remove any doubt which arises on this head. But by this fourfold consideration, you will receive clear light as to the way wherein you should go. End quote. So these four things he asks, uh, is this expenditure in line with my character? Number two, am I acting in accordance with God's word? Number three, should I consider this? Or is there a way I consider this to be a sacrifice to God? And number four, will this use of God's money reward result in a reward from 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 God so four things character obedience sacrifice and reward and it's amazing how words written 300 years ago still resonate today still have weight now author Randy Alcorn writes something that may surprise us in his book the treasure principle he says this that 15% of everything Christ said relates to this topic money and possessions more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. Why did Jesus put such an emphasis on money and possessions? Because there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. We may try to divorce our faith and finances, but God sees them as inseparable. So we've heard 300-year-old advice from John Wesley. We've heard that Jesus spoke more about uh, money than he did hell and heaven combined. Uh, let me share one more quotation from uh, Randy Alcorn, uh, which will set us up perfectly for this morning's teaching on the enemies of gratitude. Randy Alcorn writes this, following God's commands, to be generous may require trust, but you'll find the payoff, which includes joy and gratitude, is great. Now into our text. We're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 8, and uh, we're starting right now at verse 10, which says this. Deuteronomy 8 verse 10 says this, when you eat and are full, you will bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. 
The first thing that we learn from our text is that when our bellies are full, we are grateful. More than enough causes gratitude. This really is Thanksgiving 101, right? We eat, we're full, we're happy, we're satisfied, we are grateful. Now, imagine if you were coming in from 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, living rough, your parents' generation is already dead, and your generation has overcome incredible odds to now make the promised land your home. You're right on the edge, you're right on the border, you're right on the cusp, ready to move in. And finally, uh, you're looking forward to that moment when you will eat food off the land, not manna, not quail, not water, but food off the land. This is like eating home-cooked food after weeks of traveling abroad with food that makes your belly feel a little bit strange. After that, you come home, you eat home-cooked food, and you know that this is good. Everything is right. It's like that, but times a thousand. Now, at this very moment, when the Israelites first taste uh, the food or the produce of the land, this moment is actually captured in Joshua 5, verse 11, which says this. The day after Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain from the produce of the land. The day after they ate from the produce of the land, the manna ceased. Since there was no more manna for the Israelites, they ate from the crops of the land of Canaan that year. This is that moment. And you can imagine that when the Israelites ate that first meal, they were probably very grateful. When you eat and are full, you will bless the Lord, your God, for the good land he has given you. You know, just like when Wendy and I came back from four years on the mission field and I received my first check, my first wage here, here from Cornerstone. And when I compare that money to the 50 euros a month that I received on the ship, this was a king's ransom. And so in the desert, in the wilderness, the children of Israel had enough. They had manna, they had quail, they had the water, they had these shoes that miraculously never wore out. They had enough to survive. But now they're experiencing more than enough for the first time. And initially, like I said, more than enough leads to gratitude however spend too long with more than enough and this can lead to amnesia verse 11 be careful that you don't forget the lord your god by failing to keep his commands ordinances and statutes that i am giving you today deuteronomy 8 verse 11 says be careful that you don't forget meaning that it's easy to forget what started with blessing the Lord turns into forgetting the Lord. And this amnesia is dangerous. Why? Because it leads eventually to pride. Verse 14. It says, be careful once again that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Deuteronomy 8 verse 14. Why does amnesia lead to pride? Maybe because it goes something like this. That the longer that you have more than enough, the more you take more than enough for, for granted. And that more than enough turns into, in your mind, enough. And really before you know it, you forget that God was the one who brought you through the desert time, the wilderness time. 
You may say to yourself, my own power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord, your God, gives you the power to gain wealth. Deuteronomy 8, 17 to 18. You forget that he's the one who, who provided you with your education or with your opportunities or with meeting that right person at the right time that led to a great job. With your mind to think, your body that moves. The longer that you have more than enough, the easier it is for you to take credit for what you have. It's my money. It's my retirement. It's my investments. It's my work, my overtime. And then you go from maybe blessing God at the beginning to really forgetting him to then taking pride in yourself and here's this lie that grows in the heart of the amnesiac okay this is the lie that grows i'm responsible for what i have i'm responsible for what i have i have these things because of me and why this lie is so dangerous is that it actually limits you if you are self-made and self-reliant, then you are saying to God that you don't need him. And when you do this, then the only resources that you now have access to are the ones that you are directly responsible for. Your annual salary, your savings, your benefits. So in that moment, when you say, I'm responsible for what I have, what you're saying to God is, let's split our assets. You have your bank account over there God and I have mine over here and I and let me tell you there's more money in God's bank account than there is in yours and as a result we actually cut ourselves off from the joy of knowing that we are making a difference in God's kingdom and the peace of knowing that God always has our back Remember that 15% of what Jesus said was about money and finances. He cares about your money because he cares about you. You know that phrase that says, you know, don't use people. What is it? Love people, don't use money, don't love money and use people. Anyway, the Lord isn't about using your money. He's about loving you. And so as I'm looking at you this morning, I could split us into two camps. There are those of you who are dwelling in the good land. You're doing well. You have more than you need. And there are those of you who are in the great and terrible wilderness. You're struggling to make ends meet. You're living from paycheck to paycheck. Maybe not even that. Now, first, for those of you who are in the good land, listen to verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams, springs, and deep water sources flowing in both valleys and hills. Uh, as I'm reading this, try to get a picture in your mind of the, of the landscape and the scenario that, that, that we're seeing. A land of wheat, barley, vines, figs, and pomegranates, a land of honey and olive oil, a land where you will eat food without shortage, where you will lack nothing, a land whose rocks are iron and from whose hills you will mine copper in this land in this land um in this land which is good you have everything that you need you're making your bills you're you you are already planning your next vacation you're saving for retirement and by the way none of this is wrong you don't see god saying in deuteronomy 8 verse 7 what you're in the good land why don't you get back in the desert that's where you should live he doesn't say that 
It's a good thing to be in the good land. It's called a good land because it's good. And so God led them to the good land. This is his plan. And perhaps in God's providence, it's his plan that you are in a financial good land. In the land where you lack nothing. But friends, if you're in the good land, then it's for a reason. Verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to, here's the purpose, confirm his covenant he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So God is blessing you with the resources you have to act as a sign of his faithfulness to others. This is to show them that he is a covenant-keeping God, a God who looks after his own. God has, God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing to others. Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China, said this, the less I spend on myself and the more that I gave away, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. So for those of us here who are in the good land, I implore you to fight the enemy of amnesia by practicing gratitude, by practicing the spiritual discipline of seeing what is in your account, in your house, in your hand as God's. It's his and you are his steward. Randy Alcorn, he says that he carries in his wallet a little card and on this card, on the one side, it says God owns it all i'm his money manager and then on the other side it says god cares what i do with the money he entrusts to me so i better ask him having more than enough can lead to amnesia which leads to pride verse 11 says be careful that you don't forget the lord your god by failing to keep his commands ordinances and statutes that i am giving you today when you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in and your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold multiply and everything you have increases be careful once again be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt out of the place of slavery However, there are others here who aren't in the good land of verse 7. Instead, you are currently located in the great and terrible wilderness of verse 15. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of the flint rock for you, Deuteronomy 8 verse 15. This wilderness was dangerous for the Israelites because of what it contained and also because of what it lacked. It contained poisonous snakes and scorpions and it lacked water. And when you are living close to the poverty line, when you are living paycheck to paycheck, there are dangers. It can feel like every bill in the mail is a poisonous snake. It can feel like every month that you miss rent stings like a scorpion. And when you walk through the grocery store with just a few things in your cart, because it's all that you can afford, you can maybe feel like everyone's looking at you. You can feel the absence of money like the absence of water. Friends, if this is you, then hear this. God is leading you. God is leading you. Just like he led the Israelites through their wilderness, he's leading you. Trust him and obey him. Verse 15 says this. 
he brought water out of the flint rock for you now maybe water isn't the wheat and barley and vines and figs and pomegranates and olive oil and honey of verse 8 but this water is water from a flint rock it's miracle water and what this means is that God will provide for you what you need from sources that you least expect it maybe you're thinking why doesn't God just bless me with all that I need? Why don't I get the big pay, pay raise? Why don't I get the job that I applied for? Why don't I just win the lottery? And the truth is, I don't know. I don't know the circumstances that have conspired to lead you to be in a place of lack, a place of struggle. I don't know if it's generational or circumstantial, if it's your fault or the devil's fault or God's fault or someone else's fault. But I do think that perhaps verse 16 gives us a bit of insight. He fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your ancestors had not known, in order to humble and test you, so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. Deuteronomy 8.16. It says, in order to humble and test you. There's purpose here. Now it's worth noting that both the good land dwellers and the great and terrible wilderness dwellers uh, each have an in order to attach to their circumstances, meaning that there is purpose to what they're going through. For those in the good land, this is their purpose. Remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant he swore to your ancestors as it is today, verse 17 to 18. And now we're looking at the in order to or the purpose that's attached to the wilderness dwellers. Verse 16, he fed you in the wilderness with manna which your ancestors ancestors had not known in order to humble and test you so that in the end he might cause you to prosper listen to how eugene peterson translates verse 16 he says this in the message god gave you manna to eat in the wilderness something your ancestors had never heard of in order to give you a taste of the hard life to test you so that you would be prepared to live well in the days ahead of you verse 16 in order to give you a taste of the hard life to test you so that you would be prepared to live well in the days ahead of you. So surely what Moses is saying here on the plains of Moab is that living in the good land is going to test your faith and your resolve in ways that you are not prepared for. There are temptations in having more than enough that people who do not have enough will never experience. There is a war against the soul that occurs in the hearts of the wealthy. The rich young ruler walked away sad. Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not impossible, but it's difficult. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's mammon or money or God. You can't have both. So could it be that God was preparing their hearts for the plenty that would come by training them in the wilderness? Things are tight right now. Like many of you, we're feeling the pinch in our household. We're looking at how to tighten the belt as well as how to increase our income. And I know that we're not alone. It's just the reality. But as a family, we've made made a commitment that we would tithe that we would give our offerings to God's work to support missionaries and a few weeks ago actually we missed one of our tithes simply because of the cash flow but then through being careful over the time since then we've been able to make that up just recently why am I telling you this 
I'm telling you this because, like I said at the start of this sermon, I feel that we've been in the good land. When I looked at our resources, even up until recently, and compare them to when we first got married, when Wendy was working part-time and me without a job, uh, when I look at that and I compare what we had, we've been in the good land. Not that we have three houses and four cars, but we have more than enough. We've had more than enough. But just recently, I've started to wonder (coughs) whether we're starting to relocate from the good land into the great and terrible wilderness. Wendy and I are talking about money way more than we used to. And Wendy and I are praying about money way more than we used to. We're not unthinkingly throwing that extra thing in the grocery cart because it's only an extra 20 bucks, so it doesn't really matter. We're not doing that so much. We're, We're limiting our driving to save our fuel. But what we're finding in the great and terrible wilderness is that the great and terrible wilderness is not so great and terrible as we thought after all, because God is in that place. And for us, it's a place where we're choosing to still give to kingdom causes, even though we could easily spend it on ourselves. And that brings us joy. The great and terrible wilderness is a place where we're expecting God to provide for us and to show up in unexpected or miraculous ways. We're looking for those flint rocks that provide water. It's a strange reality, but God feels closer to us in the wilderness. And as I'm in the wilderness, I'm reminded that this earth as it is now is not my home. He's reminding me that after 30 to 40 more years, I will enter the true land which is good, of which Canaan was just a symbol. So for those of you who are in the great and terrible wilderness of verse 15, God will lead you. In that place of no water, he will provide water from that flint rock for you. He has not let you go. And for those of you who are in the good land where you have more than enough, do not forget. Do not give in to amnesia. Give God the glory. And really to everyone, I say this. God is with you. Christ is with you through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. Keep on practicing generosity, and in doing so, you fight the enemy of amnesia. It is as we receive from Jesus, and as we trust Jesus with either what we do have or or what we do not have, and it's as we give back to Jesus that we experience intimacy with Jesus. And so I close with this scripture from Revelation chapter 3. For you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched. You are pitiful. You are poor. You are blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and I discipline, so be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me.